Blog Talk Radio. Hi, this is Jason Alder from AB Motorsports, and you're listening to the Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Hello and welcome to the October 15th edition of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, the most hardcore motorsports program on the internet. This is episode 193 of the series. I'm your host, Adam Jason Sinclair, and on tonight's program, Michael Malali Capallo and myself will be recapping this past week of racing, previewing upcoming action. There's a lot of that to preview, and discussing whatever other topics pop into the conversation. Recently, we partnered with Baldor Publishing to bring some insight into their authors and some of the books they're working on. With that in mind, we'll be highlighting a variety of authors over the next several weeks. For more information on this series, check out Storytime for Grown Ups 5 Questions, currently available on For Welcome's Fantastic Finds or the ever-popular and brand-new series, Revved Up with Waldorf, in the Racing News section, as well as the Featured News section of SpeedwayDigest.com. Our first guest tonight is Bobby Labonte. The ultimate grinder, Bobby Labonte raced any car he could get behind the wheel of before he got his break as a full-time premier driver in 1993. His persistence paid off with a career highlighting by 21 trips to Victory Lane and the 2000 Premier Series title, a success in all three of NASCAR's National Series. Labonte was the first of four drivers to win both an Xfinity and Premier Series championship. He is also one of 27 drivers to win a race in three National Series. The Texan showed up on the biggest stages throughout his 2000 championship season, earning two of his four race wins in the Brickyard 400 and Southern 500. He beat out second place Dale Earnhardt by 255 points for the series crown. Bobby and his brother Terry Labonte are two of pairs of brothers, Kurt and Kyle Bush, the others, reach both the Premier Series championship. We're currently a couple minutes before Labonte is scheduled to call in, so let's go ahead and listen to a selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew. This is, actually, this is Bobby Labonte calling in, in right now, so let's go ahead and hold off on the selection from Ron Pastana and the pit crew for a few moments, and welcome Bobby Labonte back to the program. Hey there. Hello, how are you doing this evening? Good. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Can you hear me? Okay, good. All right. Awesome. Doing good. First off, can you, tell you guys us, are doing well. Can you tell us a little bit about... Yep, we're doing pretty well. How are you? Oh, great. Doing just fine. That's awesome. Can you tell us a little bit more about what your company, Breaking Limits, does? Well, we're, um, we do marketing, and we also do activation and at events so you know breaking limits um we do pr work for uh uh for nascar for uh nascar technical institute and then also we do some uh activation for events at uh, indycar and also for ferrari so uh, a lot of different uh, different things and we also you know are doing brand experiences with all that. So uh, exciting, and uh, we are moving forward with that through this tough time. My next question, in 2020, for several months, all racing was virtual. How do you enjoy competing in the online world, and do you think it will continue to become more prevalent in our current age? Uh, yeah, that was, you know, that was interesting. I mean, I've been an uh, iRacing guy for many years. <clears throat> so when they went iRacing, um, you know, I was glad to be a part of it and, you know, competing online, you know, and through, uh, you know, on your computer against AI or, you know, like I said, other people 
you know, it was something I've done before. So whenever it came to the point where uh, uh, Fox and uh, some others decided a platform with iRacing to do that, I mean, I think that was definitely, when you look back on it, it's like, okay, that kind of helped bridge the gap um, until we could go back racing again. So that was that was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, nothing like the real thing, but still, it was it was fun to do and race against guys that um, you know probably I hadn't raced with, but or you know some of them I might have raced with. But uh, and it was fun to see everybody getting involved with it. And, um, you know, it was it was fun to do, and it was uh, I think it was good for the sport of NASCAR. I know you've done some competitive cycling in the past several years. How does competitive cycling compare to your your auto racing days? Um, you know, you know, I don't consider myself competitive at it. I just consider myself wanting to go out there and, and see, uh, compare myself to what I've done in the years past, you know, and try to, uh, gauge myself off of, you know, health and fitness and just try to make sure that I'm, you know, as, as fit as could be, or try to get back in the groove to be fit again. So I look at that as not competing against other people, but just trying to stay, you know, for your age and also relative of where you're at, uh, to know year in and year out you are, you know, healthy and getting um, the most out of yourself, you know, and you can understand your body that way when you do that. As the NASCAR Cup Series enters the playoffs, who do you think the driver to beat is in this 2020? Uh, I would say, you know, in my mind, I would think that Kevin Harvick is probably going to be the one that will go to Phoenix with the most uh, confidence just because of the fact that he obviously has been so good all year. And, you know, we can't bank off of or you can't say, well, he didn't run good at uh, the last race, so he might not be good there. I think that Kevin is really uh, – he's – so sharp that he he knows what he's doing and he doesn't have to put himself at risk at the Roble, say for instance because that might not be his favorite place but when you get to kansas and you you get to martinsville and you get you know uh to texas you get to phoenix you know that he's going to be the one to beat so i would say that that uh you know saying all that I'd, I'd say he's the guy right now that i would you know hedge my bet against or hedge my bet for how do you feel about Jimmy Johnson hanging up his full-time helmet in NASCAR at the end of the season and entering the fray at IndyCar road courses next year? Yeah, that that's interesting. You know, I think that uh, – I can't remember how old Jimmy is, but I think that uh, it's it's a, uh, you know, interesting twist for this guy that's run – been so competitive and won so much that, you know, takes – takes a different approach. He didn't just say, well, you know what, I think I'll just retire or I will not do as much going forward. I mean, I mean, I know this is not as much as this cup schedule, but, you know, to go do that, I mean, you're going to, he's going to have to be, you know, game on the whole time. So I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm excited for him and knowing that it's going to be fun, but yet at the same time, I mean, I know Jimmy, yeah, I mean, he's going to, you know, anything less than a win wins are, you know, not, not good. So um, I think he's going to, he's jumping out of the fire and getting back into a, 
another fire. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does and adapts to the road courses or IndyCar or road courses. Let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Mulally Capallo. Is a couple questions for you as well. My first question for you, how do you feel about NASCAR and indeed other racing series competing without fans at the track? Yeah, that's, you know, that's tough. I mean, um, that's something that we, you know, we don't really want to have happen, but, um, you know, I know that, you know, it, it, I, I applaud NASCAR, all the teams and drivers for when they showed up to Darlington and ran that first race back, it was like, whew, you know, thank goodness we're back in, you know, we're back in business, you know, we're back doing what we feel is right. And, um, but without, I mean, I, you know, I know it's like a, you have to go without fans. Um, and I know that they're, you know, they're creeping back into it or having a certain amount, depends on what state you're at, state you're in. And, um, you know, but it's, it's, it's bittersweet because, to me, the excitement is, even if you're at home watching on TV, the excitement is to see the fans in the background off of the cars on the track and to see that grandstand full. So, but I understand what it needs to happen, but, you know, it's just, it's just bittersweet. It's like, ah, it's kind of like weird, you know? And, uh, but I'm glad to see that, you know, some tracks are having fans allowed and they are showing up and, you know, I, I can't wait to, I feel like, if we can flip the switch, I can't wait to go to races that are, you know, that you can just walk in like normal. Question for you. What's your take on the NASCAR hall of fame delaying the 2020 induction to 2022? Yeah, I know. I, I, I talked to some folks at the hall of fame the other day and they, you know, mentioned to me that, you know, just scheduling of the date and, you know, the uh, the way that the TV or, well, the TV, but the date and making everything work with the Hall of Fame and everything they have going on around the city, I mean, it just kind of, um, you know, made for, uh, you know, it was going to be so hard to jump through the hoops to get all that to happen. So, you know, I, I don't, I mean, you know, I think it's it's an election process. So, I mean, delaying it a year is not a, not a big thing. So, um the good thing about it is the exhibits that are in there, Joe's, Tony's, Waddell, Buddy, mine, are going to be in there for a lo- uh, longer period of time. So I think if, if there's anything for a, uh, a victory for me is the fact that our, you know, our exhibits get to stay in there longer than they have been because they've been shut down for a while. And what was your most memorable Daytona 500 run? Uh, I would have to say um, the year I finished second to Dale Earnhardt Sr., which I think was 98. And that was a weekend that we, you know, felt very confident and were very fast. And I remember, you know, leading part of that race, always running the top five. And we got down to the end, and we found Jimmy Spencer kind of, we hooked up and we kind of made a run to the front. So we get there and, and I know, or I remember hearing, I guess that uh, a couple cars spun on the back straightaway. So I was afraid that we we're going to come back to the caution and sure enough, we did because I was, you know, before that happened, you know, I could, 
kind of tell without, you know, without knowing a whole lot that my car was, we were definitely having a lot of run towards Earnhardt. And I thought, well, surely enough, by the white flag, we'll get to him and be able to, you know, race for the win. And, of course, that didn't happen. So, you know, I mean, you know, it was kind of one of those things where we, that was my best chance to win the Daytona 500. And that was, um, you know, just we had just such a fast car. And, you know, I was definitely mad that we didn't win it. But then when you go back, you know, and think about it and think about the day and think about Dale and what he's meant to the sport and what happened, you know, it's like, you know, pause for a second and we'll just we'll just call that good because because I don't know um I mean for him to have won his his only five hundred there and then what happened to him a couple three years later, um, you know, I mean just kinda like, you know, I think this is okay. So but that was the most memorable run for sure. And what was it like working on your brother's crew when he won his first cup title in nineteen eighty four? Well, that was a lot of, I thought, a lot of fun. I mean, that was, I don't know how many, that's a lot of years ago. And uh, there was a lot of people that worked on that team that I looked up to. And there was a lot of people that I learned from. And a lot of people that influenced, you know, were influences in my life today. And, um, you know, I didn't probably understand the uh, magnitude of doing what I did back then. But that shaped a lot of stuff. Being around those people and what I did shaped shaped me in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, it was, you know, when you're, um, you know, 20 years old and being at the, at the you know, at the time, the cup level, um, you know, there was only eight of us. You know, so it's like not a whole lot, you know, maybe 12, but, you know, some were free help or, you know, and I actually got paid to do what I was doing. So that was even better. So. Uh, I don't think I realized how uh, how much of an experience that was, but until later on in life. But that was the people that were there and, and that time, and you know that was very enjoyable. And that was before a lot of things got complicated. So it made it even more fun when you look back on it today and say, you know, I was a part of a team that actually wasn't a driver. I was just a you know a mechanic. So uh, learning a lot and and actually getting paid to do to do it and, and got to experience a lot of stuff that, you know, I'm not sure many 20 year olds get to do in in that shape and form. And my final question for you this evening, what can you tell us about the new superstar racing experience? Yeah, well, I know that um, I can tell you that that's something that uh, a lot of us are look for, looking forward to. I know that they've announced a lot of drivers since, um, since they announced the series and I know the email I got, you know, they got, you know, some dates to set up. They don't have the track set up yet, but I know what they're trying to do. And, um, you know, I know that Ray Everham and I, we talked probably two years ago about this, about this was kind of his, his passion, his, um, you know, what he thought would be a really great idea. So we just, you know, chatted back and forth about it and back and forth about it. And, uh, you know, I know that, when they got the deal done on the production side of it, then it was a matter of putting things together, the rest of it. And I know that if Ray Everham, obviously, and Tony Stewart are involved, it's going to be top notch. So it'll be made for TV and it'll be, 
you know, 12 drivers. And so I, and I know the IROC series that we raced years ago was, um, I thought the most fun. I mean, it was exciting because you not only get to race against some guys you knew, but you got to race against people that were in different series that you didn't know. And, um, you got to meet them and you got to, to talk to them and race against them. And, you know, so it, it, it it's, you know, relationships that, that, that I've, you know, I mean, Helio Castroneves, I can say that I, in the IROC series before, I mean, he was there before and I thought that was really cool, you know, and he's going to do it again, of course. But so when you think about the people that are going to do it and how the series is going to be set up, you know, again, Ray doing it and, you know, um, making it happen that way. And Tony, you know, I'm excited for it. And I think that, um, you know, I think it'll be, you know, what, what we wanted to do and what Ray wants to do is whatever, you know, can benefit NASCAR or benefit racing, you know, and bring fans to racing. And hopefully fans can see that that might say, Hey, Willie T rips, you know, Hey, it's Mark Weber, it's Bill Elliott, it's Pedro Castroneves, it's Paul Tracy, you know, and, and some, maybe they don't see that all the time. So, you know, bringing interest to, to racing is what it's all about. And, you know, I think that'll be, be fun for all of us and be able to compete against other guys from different, you know, series of, you know, whatever it was, Formula One or IndyCar. And, uh, you know, I think that'll be exciting. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you next season in the Superstar Racing Experience, as well as, uh, as possibly seeing you at some of the races that you do for Breaking Limits. It's a, uh, sounds like you a lot of great stuff going yeah. on, and we wish you lots of luck for, for this year and beyond. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's going to be uh, hopefully a busy off season and hopefully busier next year. Awesome. Well, thanks again for talking to us, and hopefully we get to talk to you again in the future. Okay, thanks. Bye. Thank you. Have a great night. Good. Once again, that was Bobby Labonte. It's awesome to get to talk to him, the former NASCAR Cup Series champion. He uh, Hall of Fame inductee. His exhibit is currently there at the Hall of Fame in Uptown Charlotte. Be sure to check that out since it's been extended for about another year. Are you a race car driver, crew chief, pit member, track owner? Maybe you're just a huge fan of the sport. Contact either Michael Malali Capallo or myself, Peter, on the show. After all, use every 50 minutes of fame, and we'd love to hear from you. Our next guest this evening is Elizabeth Stevens. Elizabeth Stevens is a pianist who received her undergraduate degrees at Eastern New Mexico State, Eastern New Mexico University, and her graduate degree in piano performance from Southern Methodist University. She's a pianist in the Dallas area and has taught piano for over 30 years. Several years ago, she found four abandoned puppies. Her desire to write her current book, The Porch Puppies, was a combination of her interest in educating children and a desire to share the wonderful message learned through this experience. Based on a true story, The Porch Puppies is about four abandoned pups, mentioned a second ago their adventures, and what they learn about people and themselves while they wait for forever homes. We are now pleased to welcome Elizabeth to the show. It's a few minutes earlier than we had scheduled, but she is on the line, and we don't want her to wait too long. Hello, how are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate this. Thank you for coming. First off, how did you get your start in the literary world? Well, I found four puppies about seven years ago, and I took them in and found them their forever homes. And during the process, 
I had a lot of family members and friends offer to help in a lot of different ways. And during it, I thought to myself, this would make a really great children's story. Of course, I'm always thinking about that kind of stuff because of, of teaching for so long. Uh, but I thought it would make a really good children's story because it, it would teach them about responsibility and about the importance of stepping up and helping in any way that they can when a need arises and there's an opportunity for them. So I wrote The Porch Puppies, and I'm excited. It's my first book. It comes out November 1st. It'll be available in retail and online. And if they, if somebody would like a signed copy, they can go to my web uh, my website, elizabethstevenspianostudio.com, and anything that's purchased there, I will sign before sending it. Awesome. And can you tell us a little bit more about what you do with your day-to-day life? Yes, uh, I'm a musician. I have two two degrees, uh, two bachelors, one in choral work and one in piano, and then I have a master's in piano performance. So I play at church, I play for weddings and funerals and things of that sort in the Dallas area, and then I, I teach. I've been here for over 30 years. I went to SMU back in 85, so I've been teaching and playing since then. And what's your favorite part about being an author? Well, I think I like the creativity of it, which of course makes sense. That that, that dovetails nicely in with uh, with my music. And how do you get your inspiration? Well, mine was from personal experience. Um, I can't say that I ever thought I would write a book, but because of my experience with finding the puppies and and seeing the people step up and do all the acts of kindness that they did to help find the puppies at home, um, I decided to go ahead and write the book. So for me, it was just personal experience. I just saw the value in the book, um, all the wonderful things that children can learn from the book. So that's why I went ahead and, and wrote it. Awesome. Well, let me go ahead and throw you out to my co-host, Michael Malala Capallo, who has some questions for you as well. All right, thank you. My first question for you, of all the characters you've created, which one would you like to see come alive on the silver screen? Well, that's, that's easy, since I've only written one book. <laughs> actually, actually, that is not true. Now I've written two books. I wrote The Porch Puppies, and now I've written The Reunion of the Porch Puppies, but they all, it's all about the same four porch puppies. So I would have to say The Porch Puppies. And what is the funniest thing to happen to you in your career? As an author, I haven't had anything funny happen yet. Now, you know, as a teacher, I've taught, you know, children for 30 years, and they're always doing something funny. Um, I can tell you one quick story many, many years ago in one of the first, I guess my first studio that I had, I had a, a loft where I would teach, and I had probably about a dozen posters on the wall of different composers and the idea was okay I want my students to come I want my students to see the pictures and to see the names and to at least know that this is what Beethoven looked like or this is what Bach looked like you know at least be able to associate a, a face with a name and so one day I had this little second grade girl she walks in and you know she was doing exactly what I wanted her to do she was standing there just staring at these at these composers on the wall and very innocently because you know she she was second grade they're not trying to be you know nasty or anything she just innocently said to me she just kind of shook her head and she said there weren't any cute guys back then so 
<laughs> well, that's a pretty cute story. So uh, I just thought that was very, very sweet. And what is your next big project? Well, my next project is actually um, I'm going to – I want to write a book about each one of the pups. So the first book was The Porch Puppies. Uh, like I said before, that comes out November 1st. And I've written The Reunion of the Porch Puppies, and that comes out next year, July 15th. So now I want to start, and I want to do a book on each one of the porch puppies. So there's four porch puppies. Now, I kept the one, the the main character, the one who actually narrates the story. His name is Happy, and I kept him. So I'm going to start with him, and I'm going to write a book about him. And I think what I'm going to do, I think I'm going to call it Happy Finds Courage, because Happy was has always been a fearful one. So I thought, I think I'm going to write a story about courage, and maybe the children who read this will will learn something that, that will help them if they're fearful about doing certain things. And my final question. Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Where's the most intriguing place you have um, came up with an idea for one of your books? Where is the most intriguing place? Well, I guess yeah. it would have to be my home because I came up with a book. Uh, I came up with the idea to write the book um, because I took the pups in and I found and I found them their home. So I socialized them and kept them in my home for about three or four months prior to um, letting other families adopt them. So I guess I would have to say my home because I saw them. I saw. I saw all the good things that um, all the acts of kindness that friends and family were doing, and that's what that's what motivated me to write the story, so that people could read the story, especially children, um, and um, and and learn something from it. It's um it's a book that's most appropriate for kindergarten through third grade. And once again, if my audience was interested in learning more information about you and and getting, possibly ordering the books, which website would they go to again? So they can go to my piano website. I have a tab there called The Porch Puppies. And any and any um, book that's purchased on my website, I'll sign before sending out. Uh, if they don't want a signed copy, they can get it online on Amazon or any other sort of retail online or, or, or retail store. But my website is called Elizabeth. StevenPianoStudio.com, and anything purchased awesome. there on the website, I will sign before sending out. Cool. Well, once again, we'd like to thank you very much for coming on the show this evening, and good luck with your books. And hopefully, you got a got a nice series going there, and hopefully, it goes really well for you. Well, thank you so much. I sure appreciate you making time for me to come on tonight. Thank you. Have a great night. Thank you. The same to you. Bye bye. Once again, that is Elizabeth Stevens, author of The Porch Puppies, which comes out in a few more weeks. There's also the second Porch Puppies Return that comes out next summer, and she's working on another another book, which she doesn't have a final title for yet, but you heard a little bit about it this evening, and you can check that out. All that information on her website, ElizabethStevensPianoStudio.com. That's ElizabethStevensPianoStudio.com. We're going to take a short break here before we get into the second, the next part of the of the show, I think it's probably 
The third segment is what we're up to now. So let's go ahead and listen to the segment from Ron Pistana and the Pit Crew, their selection, musical selection, 99 Speedway.
Hi, this is John Hunter Nemechek from Nimco Motorsports, and you're listening to Thursday Night Thunder on the Speedway Digest Radio Network. Ryan Gervan and Ryan Briscoe lead a hotly contested championship battle in the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championships Daytona Prototype International DPI class. They began enlisted to help with the driver and borrowed his own championship fight to further their cause in this week's Vodal Petit Le Mans. Joining Vander Zander and Briscoe in the number 10 Konica Minolta Cadillac DPI VR for Saturday's 10-hour endurance event at Michelin Raceway Road, Atlanta, is open-wheel racing star Scott Dixon, who seek his sixth IndyCar championship a week later in St. Petersburg, Florida. In the meantime, Dixon is ready to moonlight in sports cars, eager to help Briscoe and Vander Zand in their quest to earn the WeatherTech Championship title. Dixon and Kamai Kobayashi shared driving duties with Vanderzand and Briscoe when the number 10 Cadillac won the season-opening Rolex 24 at Daytona. Although Dixon's year-long concentration has been on the IndyCar Championship, this weekend's outing is actually providing a bit of respite from his normal competition. The last few races have not gone well for the New 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 Zealander as Joseph Newgarden has closed the gap in the points race. The top five teams fighting for the DPI championship were separated by just nine points heading to the Michelin Raceway, with number 10 three points up on the number 31 by an engineering racing Cadillac. The number seven Acura team Penske pairing of Ricky Taylor and Elio Castroneves has come on particularly strong of late, winning the last three other tech championship races. Taylor and Castroneves ranked third in the standings, five points behind the leaders, and we'll have another IndyCar standout, Alexander Rossi, as the third driver this weekend. Wayne Taylor Racing is looking to win Model Petit Le Mans for the third time. Vanderzand shared the winning car in 2018 with Jordan Taylor and Ryan Hunter Ray. Hunter Ray will co-drive the number 55 Miles Motorsports DPI this weekend with Harry Tinknell and Jonathan Bomarito, while Taylor is looking for his third consecutive GT Le Mans win this season for Corvette Racing. Tinknell and Bomarito rank. Fourth in the DPI standings, eight points behind Vanderzant and Briscoe. Sebastian Bourdais is new is nine points back and heads an all French trio driving the number five Mustang sampling slash JDC Miller Motorsports Cadillac this weekend with Tristan Vautier and Luis Duval. Vanderzant says it will be difficult to balance aggression and caution over the final three weeks of the 2020 campaign. While consistency has put the number 10 team atop the standings, the Dutchman knows that a conservative approach doesn't always pay off. The Bubble Petit Le Mans action begins with practices at 11.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 7.30 p.m. Eastern today, followed by qualifying at 12.30 p.m. on Friday. Each of those sessions have streamed and will stream live on IMSA.com. Live coverage of the race is available from 12.30 to 6.30 p.m. on Saturday. Switching to Track Pass on NBC, Sports Gold from 6.30 to 9.30 p.m. And returning to NBCSN for the direct conclusion from 9.30 to 11 p.m. It's going to be a great weekend of racing. There's a lot of amazing things going on this weekend, including the Petit Le Mans. Uh, it's the biggest race of the weekend. There's other other stuff going on, of course. The uh, NASCAR will be competing this weekend, and it'll be a really good weekend of racing. There's not a lot of uh, a lot of big things happening. Petit Le Mans does not have a full field of people in the uh, in the grandstands again this year um, due to the COVID-19. There are a few people who are going to be allowed there. There's um, it'll be a lot like Sebring was for the uh, the return to competition, where there'll be 
a lot of people hanging out by their cars. There won't be as much stuff, as many people wandering around as there normally is there at the track. Although we'll be able to wander around a little bit, uh, there is a lot of space there at the Road Atlanta. So it'll be good to see that. There's a little bit of other stuff going on more sports right now, but not a whole lot. Um, the big thing that did that was announced the other day, of course, was the fact that Clint Boyer will be leaving Stuart Haas Racing at the end of the season and going to be on NASCAR on Fox with uh, Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon up there in the booth. Pretty cool to see. He had a really good time uh, talking about the iRacing during the time when that was on the air earlier in the year. And so I think he uh, he's ready to take the step out of the car and go up into the racing booth. Um, that is a big step, and it will be a big change for him. But it'll be pretty cool to have, have racers who at least fairly recently been in the car there on Fox as the announcers up in the booth there. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big deal for that. Uh, there have been some changes, of course, in the uh, in the IMSA world as well. Um, there's still the rumors persisting that they might be pushing the LMDHs further back instead of coming out at the beginning of 2022. They might push them back to the end of 2022 or possibly even the beginning of 2023. I know there'll be a little bit more talk about that after the Petit Le Mans this weekend. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of discussion with the the people from the FIA as well as the people from the ACO as they meet in Brazelton, Georgia, in advance of the Petit Le Mans. So that'll be cool. See how that goes. Um, some of the other news in that, uh, the ERA Motorsports will not be competing this weekend at Petit Le Mans. Uh, they've decided to take some time off and evaluate their future in the sport. Um, they are currently slated to return to action in January in Daytona. However, that is really much up in the air. There's also rumors that the uh, Core Autosport will be returning to action again next season with a two-car field in the uh, Probably in the P3 division, although that has not been confirmed yet, and probably with the uh, with Colin Braun behind the wheel of at least one of the cars. Now there are a lot of changes going on in the P3 division. Uh, where they'll be competing in some of the races as well with the P2s and the DPIs. Uh, it'll be a big change there, and that'll be pretty awesome to see that. Um, hopefully, next year the uh, the prototypes will be able to go to to Charlotte. I know some of you probably watched the race from the Charlotte Roval, which was a GT-only race, the GTLM and GTDs there in Charlotte in the pouring rain. Um, that was a pretty cool race. I uh, didn't, I did not see the end of that race, however, because it, it was a delayed start and it's a, uh, it was a late night for those guys. I did see the highlights of the end of the Xfinity race where where A.J. Elmendinger won the race there, uh, pretty much a flying lap where they do a lot of splashing, all sorts of stuff. It was a great, great way to have the uh, have the racing go there in the rain in Charlotte. Um, it was unfortunate that there wasn't much rain for the cup race the next day, but I'm sure the cup drivers are really, really happy they didn't have a ton of rain because uh, that wouldn't be a very good thing. So, did you get a chance to watch any of the racing from Charlotte on TV last week? It was, a, it was pretty interesting. I did not, but my brother came out and um, said that there was a lot of controversy over the finish. Did you get a chance to see the finish in any of the highlights or anything? I saw a little bit of highlights. I didn't really see the finish of the race. I know that the uh, 
that there's always some controversy there at the at the Charlotte Roval simply because of the way of the layout. And personally, I don't like the fact that they're they're still not obeying the track limits. They're trying to hop over the top of those those turtles, as they call them there, the uh, the uh, big blue things they put on top of the curbs. I think that they should just they should make the the curbs like ten feet high, so they're not able to not even able to get the car over the top of it because that just it looks stupid um, trying to hop over the top of those things. It's it's not very good. Not good for the car. Not good for the drivers, and not good for the competition. Um, so, but that's neither here nor there. I know that they they do have a lot of contact on that track, and they try to make it a little bit more space for runoff and that sort of thing, but it doesn't always work. And so it makes things a little more complicated, especially for people who are not necessarily the best road course racers. And next season will be a a challenge for those people because there'll be a few more road courses on the schedule next year. And uh, that'll be something. Um, again, the big race this weekend is the is Petit Le Mans there from, from Atlanta. Uh, I'm not sure how much that I'm going to be able to see because I will be out of town this weekend up in the in the Daytona Beach area, close to the track, which is where the, the prototypes were last weekend. They were doing some testing there in Daytona in advance of the Petit Le Mans race this weekend. Um, so I might might end up seeing... Uh, in the track there in Daytona, I know they do have some some Biketoberfest there in Daytona National Speedway this weekend. Uh, nothing official, but there'll be some people hanging out around there, as there are, always are for those sort of things. Um, because, unfortunately, the Biketoberfest festivities were pretty much squashed this year due to COVID-19. There are, of course, a few people who are going to be coming down for that. They just uh, hang out around the, around the city. There'll be some stuff happening in some of the bars and restaurants, but it's nothing compared to what it normally is. And... Uh, Personally, I'm happy about that because I don't like fighting the traffic in Daytona around Biketoberfest. Um, it is unfortunate they're not going to have all the people out there camping in the uh, Cabbage Patch there. Uh, that's definitely not a, uh, a COVID-19 friendly area. And for some reason, I don't think, I'm pretty sure the CDC wouldn't think that wrestling in coleslaw would be a good way to to stop the spread of, uh, of COVID-19. So... That is one of the highlights of the of the event there, and I'm sure if you look up coleslaw wrestling on YouTube, you can find some amazing videos there uh, that talk about some of the weird things that happened during Biketoberfest and the Bike Week events there around Daytona. So if you have some time, be sure to check that out. Um, takes a few minutes, and actually I can recommend that the View from the Cheat Seats did a thing about coleslaw wrestling a couple of years ago, so be sure to check out Kyle and Mary's video of that. Um, definitely some colorful stuff. Uh, but of course, it's going to be a. This year's been really strange in terms of some of the events happening around the country. Um, it's getting back to normal really, really slowly. As Bobby Levani stated during his interview, there's some things that are some areas in the country they're better than others, and some areas that think they're better than others, and so that's just the way it goes. Um, well, the other events happening in the next few weeks is, of course, the race there in St. Petersburg, the Grand Prix of St. Petersburg, the IndyCar Grand Prix. They'll be there at the. Uh, in St. Petersburg next weekend. So there are tickets currently available for that race. I'm going to be posting an article about that probably on Monday. I don't know if there'll be tickets available still on Monday, but I will post the article on Monday about the uh, the race. So be sure to check that out on SpeedwayDigest.com. And with that, let's go ahead and wrap up the show for this week. Be sure to check out the past episodes of Speedway Digest, Thursday Night Thunder, as well as the other shows on the Speedway Digest Radio Network at SpeedwayDigestRadioNetwork.com. There was an update posted on Facebook yesterday by Tim Spain, the co-host of the uh, Pit Stop with Tim Spain. 
and he is working on some ideas to bring the show back on the air. It's been off now since March. It probably won't return until early next year, and he does have some partners he's working with. I'm not certain whether he's going to return to the Speedway Digest Radio Network with, with uh, Stephen Wilson or whether there'll be other, other people involved in it. He did mention there's a possibility of some NASCAR direct involvement uh, with a former team owner possibly as the co-host of the, of the show. So I'll keep you in, in the loop on that. I did post that. I reposted that on the Speedway Digest. There's not Thunder page. And for those of you who follow Tim Despain, you're probably already aware of that information. You can also check out this show on Facebook by searching for Speedway Digest Thursday Night Thunder in the search bar or going directly to the SD Thursday Night Thunder there on Facebook. I also invite Green Derrickles covering all aspects of motorsports at SpeedwayDigest.com. In addition, if you're a fan of South Florida and who isn't, be sure to check out the latest news and information about our slice of paradise at the four problems fantastic finds. It can be found on Facebook, on Twitter, at PB Happening, as long as Twitter is functioning, it did have some pretty big issues today, and by heading to forwardbrumsfantasticfinds.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you again next week in the Thunderdome as we discuss the major issues in the world of modern auto racing. Thanks again, and have a great week. <laughs>